had been conquered by another nation. They were defeated by the Persian Empire. And as we drop in here to Ezra 1, we are going to start with a decree of the new king of Persia, King Cyrus, who issues a decree that's recorded right here in Ezra 1. And so we're going to read verses 1 through 6. But I will focus on verses 5 and 6 particularly this morning. But I, I want us to have the full context. So we're in Ezra chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1 and read to verse 6. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The Lord put it in the mind of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and put it into writing. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem in Judah. Whoever is among his people, may his God be with him. And may he go to Jerusalem in Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who was in Jerusalem. Let every survivor, wherever he lives, be assisted by the men of that region with silver, gold, goods, and livestock, along with the freewill offering for the house of God in Jerusalem. So the family leaders of Judah and Benjamin, along with the priests and Levites, everyone God had motivated, prepared to go and rebuild the Lord's house in Jerusalem. All their neighbors supported them with articles, gold, goods, livestock, and valuables, in addition to all that was given as a free will offering. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the record, Father, of what you have done throughout history, God. This, this record of, uh, uh, Father, how you brought your people out of exile and back into Jerusalem. And Lord, help us today at Perryville First Baptist Church, help us to understand what it is that we need to possess as your people to come back and worship in this place. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, some things that you need to bring with you when you return. The very first thing is a biblical perspective. A biblical perspective. If I draw your attention back to verse 1, we see that the Lord had put it in the mind of King Cyrus. God had put it in his mind to issue that proclamation. God had moved in his heart and really in his, in his thinking and in his mind to cause him to make this decree that would allow God's people to go back into the promised land. You know, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but 2020 has been a year for the record books. A new decade, and a new decade, a year of cultural unrest. Uh, we've had major Supreme Court decisions. Uh, we, have, we have an election year that is shaping up to be, if you can imagine this, possibly even uglier than the last election year was. If that wasn't enough, if that's not enough for you for the record books, 
we are dealing with a global pandemic. Man, uh, this, this pandemic, this COVID thing has affected our world in a tremendous way. It has affected our economy. It's affected jobs and the stock market and schools and churches. And because of the pandemic, things like VBS have been canceled. Summer camps have been canceled. Graduations and funerals and weddings have, uh, and other major life events have had to be postponed or canceled or restricted to very few in attendance because of this COVID thing. Even here, we've been unable to have you know, a nursery or in-person children's ministry or a student ministry. And, and I want you to know we're, we are praying about when we can bring those things back. We're praying about uh, when we can reopen and resume those things at the level that we were doing before and even hopefully even better. Only time will tell how, how uh, this, this pandemic is going to continue to impact our co culture. But here's the deal. And this is something we can't miss. And this is what I told you on week one of being online. And it's this biblical perspective, it's this truth. God is still in control. And you can trust him. We see that by, you know, what, what, what's happening right here in verse one is King Cyrus issues this decree. For 70 years, Israel had lived in exile. You know, they were aware of the prophecy of Jeremiah that, that the Lord would allow them to return to their land after 70, after 70 years. But listen, they had no way to know how that was going to work. They had no way to know that this new king, King Cyrus, was going to be the one or the instrument that God would use to authorize that return. That's amazing when Scripture tells us that it was the Lord that put it in the mind of Cyrus to issue that proclamation because Cyrus was not a follower of the God of the Bible. Cyrus, King Cyrus, was a polytheist. What that means is he believed in poly or many theist gods. He, 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 he probably um, recognized the God of Israel, but to him, the God of Israel was uh, was, was one of many, many other gods that he worshipped and adhered to. He was not a person that was devoted to the idea of, of one God, of the worship of one God. He was, not, uh, he was not a person that was sold to the idea of one way of salvation. But it was the God of the Bible who put in his mind to issue that proclamation. Listen, you know what that demonstrates for us people? It demonstrates for us that no matter the circumstance, God is in control. And God will bring his plan into reality. If God makes you a promise, you can trust that he's going to honor that promise. And he is the one that's going to make it happen. Let's think about some of God's promises for a moment. I'm reminded that in Joshua over and over, God says, be strong and courageous. He says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In Isaiah, we're told that they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
In Jeremiah, we're told, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. The psalmist in Psalm 33 tells us that the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen for his own possession. In Matthew, Jesus says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In John 1, we're told that as many as received him, to them God has given the power to become sons of God, even to them that believe his name. And in Romans 8, Paul reminds us that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So for those of us here this morning and those of us who will come back in the coming days, we will come back with a biblical perspective. We need to come back understanding that none of what you are seeing in this world today, whether it be COVID-19, social unrest, you know, Supreme Court decisions, any of those things, none of that has knocked God off of his throne. He is in control. He remains sovereign through everything. And as we approach the fall, you know, and our country is debating political decisions about who to elect and who's going to be, uh, you know, the president, we cannot lose perspective of, of, of this truth. Because the truth is that whether or not your candidate wins, God is in control. Whether or not this COVID thing calms down, God is in control. And this is important because, listen, it's very likely that some of you came in here this morning and some of you watching online this morning are going through something. You are dealing with something. You are, uh, you are struggling through a decision or you're struggling through a, a, a very difficult time in your life and you need to understand that your hope is in Jesus. Jesus is the hope of our nation, and he is the hope of salvation. Whatever your struggles, whatever your decisions, in good times and in bad, you need to trust God. So the first thing you need to bring with you when you come back is a biblical perspective. Number two, I want to encourage you to bring with you divine motivation. If you look down to verse 5, the first half of it, it says that, the family leaders of Judah and Benjamin, along with the priests and Levites, and everyone whom God has motivated. You see, when, when Cyrus issued this decree, and he said, hey, you're good to go back to the promised land. You're good to go back and build the temple. You're good to go back and, and resume your ministry. When, when, when he did that, not everyone was ready to go back. You see, they had been in exile for 70 years. That's, that's two generations of people, folks. Two generations that had been born in Babylon, that had been raised in Babylon, that had children in Babylon. That first generation would have had grandchildren in Babylon. Two generations of people 
who, who, who did not know the promised land. And everything they knew was in Babylon. Their houses were there. Their friends were there. Their careers, their jobs, their possessions. They had security in Babylon because they, they, they had lived there their whole lives. So they understood what that was going to be like. But for many, the ones that are going back to Jerusalem, that would have been going like, like going out on the, uh, being a pioneer, you know, out on the open frontier. You know, that, there, there would have been a lot of things to, to think about and to deal with. You're starting your life all over again when you come back to Jerusalem after 70 years. It, it would have involved a 1,700-mile caravan that would have had to have traveled on foot or, you know, maybe via a cart, some of them on horses or mules, but 1,700 miles. Dangers both on the way there and dangers and not knowing what to expect when they got back. They would have had to start their lives completely from scratch. And this would have been a very, very hard decision, okay? It would have been a very hard decision. Not everyone just jumped at the chance. Some prayed about it, and it says that those whom God had motivated, those are the ones that were ready to come back. God didn't put on the heart of every one of them to come back at that particular time. But those whom God had motivated did go back. Those were the ones that God led. Many of you out there today watching online or trying to decide, when do I go back to church? When is the right time? What if I can't go back right away? Are they going to think poorly of me? Am I going to be judged? Will the pastor be mad at me? And I want you to understand that the only thing we are asking our people and all of you to do is to you pray about when is the right time for you to come back. You pray it through. You think it through. You take in all the considerations. Be wise and come back when God leads you. But when you do, come back because God has led you. So we have biblical perspective divine motivation, and the last thing is this, a godly mission. A godly mission. Here, we're in verse 5 again. So the family leaders of Judah and Benjamin, along with the priests and the Levites, everyone God had motivated, prepared to go up and rebuild the Lord's house in Jerusalem. King James says that the ones that God had prodded arose. Okay? It means that those whom God had called were ready to go. They were ready to go, and they had a mission. They were motivated, and that motivation came from God, but along with that motivation came a clear and concise mission. And in Ezra 1, that mission is to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. For 70 years, Jerusalem was without a temple. For 70 years, God's people who were in exile were, were not, not anywhere even close to the temple, and God wanted the temple rebuilt in order that his people would dwell in his presence right there once again. You remember it was a war that led to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And praise God that the pandemic that we have faced in our culture and our world today has not destroyed our church building, but with the exception of very little activity, our church building has been sitting idle for 13 weeks. Yes, we've been cleaning it, we've been working on things, but our nursery, our preschool, our children's area, 
the gym for the most part, the youth room, all of these things empty, life group and Sunday school rooms empty. This room right here, with the exception of just a few people, we would come to record this room empty. After a lot of prayer and meeting with leaders and deacons and taking into consideration all the advice, we, we felt led to, to reopen today. And at this point, listen, I'm not sure when we're going to get back to child care. I'm not sure, you know, uh, when everything's going to be up and going. We're praying about that. We're trying to understand that. And as the COVID cases surge here in Arkansas, we've got to be very wise. We've got to be cautious. We've got to be prayerful. Uh, but listen, we will resume as soon as we feel led by God. And I tell you, we want to do it. We'd love to do it today. Uh, but we are praying for God to lead us. And when God leads you, come back. You come back with a godly mission. Listen, and that mission continues to be that we as a church would be committed and striving to connect people to the, to the, uh, to the love of God, connect people to God, connect people to the church, and then also to grow, for us to grow in our faith, and then for us to serve God in our community and around the world. That is our mission. That is what we are here to do, connect, grow, and serve. If we return with that perspective, that motivation, that mission, God will take care of the rest. Look at verse 6. This is really neat. It says that all of their neighbors supported them with silver articles, gold, goods, livestock, and valuables, in addition to all that was given as a free will offering. The, the Israelites still living in exile, the ones that prayed about and said, God, is it time for me to go back? And the Lord said, not, not quite yet. I, I'm, I'm sending these people back first. We'll send you back a little later. But they understood that this was an act of God, that this was a work of God, that God was doing something amazing. And even though they couldn't be there in person, they wanted to be a part of what God was doing. And so they gave, uh, they, they, they gave things that were going to be needed for the journey. They, they, uh, they gave things that were going to be needed to begin the process of rebuilding and to reestablish homes uh, there in Jerusalem. And so... Uh, so we see that, uh, that even, though, uh, even though not everybody went back, God provided exactly what was needed for those whom he had called and that he had led to go back. You know, yesterday we had a memorial service here for Woody Wood, and that's where our beautiful flowers uh, are here this morning in, in memory of that and donated by the family. Uh, but I was visiting with, there was a, uh, with the other pastor, there was both me and then one of their former pastors uh, involved in the service. And I was sitting over here on the front pew, and he and I were visiting before the funeral. And we were marveling at how God had continued to provide for the needs of ministry in the midst of all this COVID-19 stuff. We, we were just, we were talking about, wow, I cannot believe what God is doing because we both know churches who have really been struggling because, uh, because people that, uh, that, that give to help support the ministry, they're not there, and so they're not there to give, and they don't have in many of them a, a, a mechanism of giving online or anything like that. And many churches out there are struggling in the middle of this season. 
but God has continued to provide for the ministry of this church through working in your heart and through your generosity. And I want you to know we are thankful for that. But listen, as important as the financial stuff is to the ministry of a church, that's not all there is. Whether you're in this room right now or watching somewhere else, I want to ask you to pray for the ministry of this church. Pray for God to continue to lead us through this season, through this process, as we seek to, to, to figure out and to understand how do we get back to reaching our community? How do we get back to loving one another the way that a church family does? And I'm not saying that we don't love one another, but I'm talking about the action of loving one another because we haven't been able to get out and visit very much, okay? And many of you have been so great to provide for the needs of one another, but certainly we have not been able to have as much interaction as we normally would because of this season. Pray that God would lead us in these days. Pray that God would enable us to preach the gospel, to make disciples. Because friends, the truth is, the scripture tells us that there is none righteous. No, not one. And the truth is, is that biblical righteousness comes only from God. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the penalty of sin is death. But praise God, you know the verse. You know the verse, John 3.16. I, I am so thankful that John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life tells us that there is a God who loves us, who's ready to receive us. If you would repent and trust in him, he will teach you and teach us all how to be imitators of God. Part of our godly mission is to preach and teach and live that message as we seek to reach our community for Christ. If we're going to do that, number one, we need to be believers. <laughs> you can't reach your community for the gospel if you've never accepted the gospel. You need to be a believer. But as believers in Christ, as we deal with everything going on in this world, we need to have a biblical perspective. We need to have divine motivation and a godly mission. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I'm going to pray in just a moment, and I want, to, want you to understand what we're going to do. We're going to have a time of reflection. This is what we would, many of us would call the invitation time. And if you would like to come or you need to come and, and pray at the altar, uh, there's enough distance here on the piano side that you could do that if you feel like you need to do that. I'm going to position myself down there so that, um, so that uh, I can be available to uh, talk with you if needed. But whether or not you come forward or not, I want to invite you just to spend some time with the Lord as we sing this song, as we worship together. Let us worship in reflection of who God is, what God has done, and let us be asking ourselves this question, what is God saying to me? And